Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim Rochelles. Today's episode 264, and we're going to be interviewing Johnny. How you doing, Johnny? Hey, Jim. How's everything today? going today? Everything's going well so far. So you're uh, joining us from Ireland, huh? Yeah, sure I am. Cork, County Cork, Southern Ireland. Southern Ireland? About as far south as you can get. Okay. How's the weather there today? We have a good day today. It hasn't been today. so great the last few weeks, yeah, but today's good. That's good. Nice. All right, so let's get started here. Um. First question that I ask everybody, uh, tell me about your childhood and growing up. How was that for you? <clears throat> I had, um, well, I'm from a very big family. There's 12 kids. Wow. Um, yeah, I have nine sisters, two brothers. Um, and I, I had a, a pretty good, pretty good childhood. Um, How big was the house you grew up in? It wasn't big. I mean, three bedrooms. We didn't have a, we didn't have an, an awful lot, but, you know, we were happy. Um, my parents did uh, the very best they could, you know, with uh, with so many of us. Um, but I, I was always well looked after, you know. I, I always had food in my belly that I had clothes on my back, so I couldn't I couldn't have complained that way. Um, and there was a lot of kids around us, you know. We grew up in in a in a place where there was kids everywhere. We always had a lot of friends. Every, you know, we we were happy. Um. But my dad died then when I was eleven, um, and that, that was that was kind of hard. Well, it was very hard, but it was a con- very confusing time because I I'd never dealt with anything like that before, and um, you know, and I, I suppose I never really knew the man. He was my dad, but I didn't know him. Yeah, you weren't old enough to get to know him like that. Yeah, it was so. I think about it now. Um, do I miss him, or do I miss the idea of having a dad growing up? And, you know, I can't answer that. I genuinely can't answer it. Um, like and in the house, there there was always um, my dad drank and he gambled. Um. I wouldn't say he was um, a problem drinker, but he did like it. Um, How often would he drink? He would drink maybe. He would definitely, for a while, he definitely drank five out of seven days. Um, that's what I remember. I mean, I don't want to put a lie on the man, you know, um, but that's what I remember. Um, but it didn't cause me too many problems, me personally, and I can only speak for me. Um but you know when you grow up and you're from a huge family and you don't have an awful lot and your dad 
my dad was very short and the strangest things made me kind of ashamed um like i was ashamed that we were from housing estate that there wasn't a lot of money i was ashamed that i was from a huge family all these things sound very strange but i was ashamed that my dad was short and then i was ashamed that my dad was dead um very very kind of strange feelings for a for a young boy you know yeah exactly it's a lot of negative feelings yeah always always negative like where and i grown up in the 80s here nobody had anything you know there was, there was everybody was in the same boat nobody had the nikes or the expensive stuff you know but i always kind of felt left out and, and felt hard done by that i couldn't have them um we just couldn't afford them. Simple as simple as that. Like you just could not afford them. Yeah. It was, um, it was a novelty. Dis if you saw somebody wear them down the street, you're kind of like, they must be loaded. They're they're millionaires. No, yeah. so, um, but as I said, like I, I I didn't really. I never wanted for anything. I didn't, and I uh, like my older siblings were all fantastic. You know, they all they're love lovely people. People like you know, all looked out for me, um. So there was there was a huge amount of love in the house. Yeah, we, you know, we fought from time to time, and you know, like any family, any any siblings always get in arguments, um. But there was never anything too serious until later, later in life, you know, um. Like my younger brother, I haven't spoken to really for about seventeen years, um. But everybody else I get on with, I mean, 11 or 12 isn't bad, you know. <laughs> you could take that. That's a lot of kids. You must have some family reunion. Like, do you guys get all get together during the holidays and stuff? Uh, we get together fairly often, actually. I mean, there was a barbecue just yesterday in my sister's house. No, I couldn't make it. But um, one of my sisters had a barbecue. And there was quite a lot there. And, you know, they all get on. They all have a few drinks and a laugh and... You know, it was probably times like that. It was one of the, you know, I'd have one too many drinks, you know. Um, I'd start out, I'd be the life and soul, and then I'd get messy and sloppy. And yeah, if I if I if I learned one thing is that nobody likes a drunk, you know. No. That's absolutely correct. Um, I think if someone not... likes a drunk, there's something wrong with them. Absolutely. As much as you want to convince yourself when you're when you're drinking that look at me i'm amazing i'm so funny and charming and i'm a brilliant singer and dancer you're none of those and um, it took me quite a while to figure that out for myself you know it's a shame really that i wasted so much time like and then on top of that then i'm a i'm a compulsive gambler as well oh are you yeah so I'm an alcoholic and I'm a compulsive gambler. So here, um, every single town and village will have their pub and right next door will be the bookies. You really? know, it's, um, yeah, so they, they go hand in hand, you know. Um, and it's very difficult to avoid. Um, so I grew up, well, as I said earlier, my dad was a gambler. I hated, I despised horse racing. 
because it would be on every Saturday when, you know, Saturday is cartoon day. So how am I supposed to watch the cartoons if there's horse racing on the TV? But then if I got a bit of involvement in the horse racing, that all changed. So if he had his bet and it was a small bet for me, I loved it then. It was it was very different. And I got the bug for it. And it took on. I was very young then. I was, I was six or seven years old, when, you know. Um, but again, then I didn't have any money myself, so it wasn't a problem, you know. But it was as I got a little bit older and I started to, you know, your pocket money and it all went over the counter to bookies. Um, I thought I was an expert. You know, you get a big win and you think, I'm going to, oh, isn't everybody doing this? This is so easy. You know, I'm going to be a professional. I'm going to move to Vegas. I'm going to be a millionaire in two weeks. Um, and I'm just going to be a massive success. But sure, Jesus, that's a pipe dream. You know, no, nobody does that. But a lot of gamblers think that way. Um, just, I suppose, it's my addictive personality. You get into it. I swear, like, my son has a Nintendo Switch and I could sit down and play Super Mario and he goes to bed and I continue playing it. I can't put it down. You know, it's it's anything, anything at all. And I, I, I get stuck with it and I, I get just caught up, completely caught up. But you sit down, you play Super Mario Brothers for a few hours, it's not going to change your life or anybody around you. But if you're caught up with gambling and drinking, yeah, the, the, it's carnage. I mean, the uh, collateral damage is, is through the roof then, you know? Yeah, and the thing about gambling also is it's just, it happens so quickly, you could lose everything in the snap of the finger. Exactly, Jim. Like, if you're walking down the street and you've got a few drinks in you, someone knows that you've got a few drinks in you. Yeah. You could lose the price of a car and you've got that same look on your face and nobody knows any different, you know? How are you today, John? I'm great. I'm great. I have lost all my money, but I'm, I'm not going to tell you that. Um, and it's... Addiction, besides the fact that it's um, obviously awful for our, our health and mental health, but it's exhausting. Trying to keep up the facade and the lie the whole time. It's just exhausting. It's there's no sleep. You're constantly second guessing yourself on who do I tell that lie to and how can I change this lie? And you know, and it's never ending until you're caught and and then you have to start it all again because you don't stop, you don't stop the, the destruction, you keep going and then you start to lie again. And, that always that kept going with me for years and years and years. And I had like that, I'd lie and I could come up with a lie at the drop of a hat, no problem. And it would be an intricate story that I, I started to almost believe myself, you know? Yeah. So you started Imagine. young with the gambling around six or seven, you said, right? Yeah. Um, what was the first time you ever tried alcohol? Um it would have been, I'd say it about 13 or 14, maybe. Who was it with? Um, Who did you do it with? A few, just a few of my friends. Okay. 
I mean, it, it always appealed. Because I'll tell you, you know, it's... um. Here, everything, everything revolves around the pub here. No, maybe not so much. No, but it always did, you know. There was no such thing as, you. I'll meet you for a cup of coffee. It was always, I'll meet you for a pint. I'll meet you for a drink. Um, and, I, and I suppose growing up then, I could hear, like, yeah, I, I suppose I'd hear my dad, my older brother. I'd hear, you know, friends of friends of friends talking about the amazing night they had in the pub and every story I'd ever heard was was so fun, but it was all fueled by alcohol. And I couldn't wait to be the fella to tell those stories. I wanted to be that guy, you know? I was, I mean, I strived to be that fella who tells the stories of, well, I was so drunk and this happened to me and Look at look at me, look at the hero I am now, because I think of this stuff. And I was counting down the seconds until I was 18. So that I could legally drink. Even though I mean, we drank myself and my friends drank every weekend for three or four years before we were a legal age, you know. And it was easy to get it, you know, it was simple. You'd get someone who you'd wait outside the off license, and someone you give them the money, just ask them, would they go in? And you'd get it. Like, or you take it from home, you'd have a concoction of different spirits topped up with something, and even though it just tasted awful, you drink it. It'll make you sick. And, but we didn't care. We didn't care just once we got. And I'll tell you this, Jim the first time I drank, mm -hmm. I didn't get anything. I didn't get anything out of it. It was no. just disgusting. It was horrible. It made me sick. Um, but I wanted to do it again because I was I was like, can you believe John was drinking? And so I couldn't wait to drink again because I wanted that kind of uh, validation from people that um, I was this kind of this hard man, you know, and. I loved it. I loved that side of things. But as it went on then, and I started to get the buzz, and oh, I loved it then. And it brought out a bit in me. Um, like, I would be the class clown in school. But when I had alcohol in me, that was heightened, and it allowed me to do more and more outrageously stupid things that always got a laugh from people, from my friends and from girls you were trying to impress. And... Uh, you know, when we were growing up. So I craved that then. And then I convinced myself that there's two people, like there's there's John and there's Johnny. Like John is the boring, self-respecting guy who won't do anything, but Johnny's the fellow who drinks. Like Johnny's the... Yeah, he's it's, the it's funny you say it like that. Johnny Cash used to say the same thing. There was John, but, and then, then there was Johnny. Yeah, but that's exactly I'm Johnny. Like, a lot of people know me as Johnny C, and that would be from being around in the pubs and, and the, the bar scenes, you know? And Johnny C is Johnny C is mad. Johnny C is funny, and he'll do anything. Um, and, and I embraced it. I did. I absolutely embraced it. I'm kind of embarrassed to say it, but... um. 
Oh, I reveled. I loved it. I loved being him. Um, because I could walk in and people were kind of waiting for what would he say or what would he do like. Um, and I loved it. I just that that attention I got was incredible, you know. Um, they were my they were my audience. They weren't my friends. They were my audience. That's how I treated people. And then you know you do crazier and crazier things, and you get in trouble, and you're you're in the back of a, a police car, and going, Jesus, how am I in here again? You know, what kind of things did you get arrested for? Streaking, um, you know, <laughs> running over the tops of cars, you know, just drunken, disorderly fighting, just stupid things, you know, that. I would never do sober, never even come close to it. I was, I was, I had a bit of a smart mouth, right? But the way I spoke when I had, uh, when I was drunk was far beyond anything I would ever say when I was sober. It just got, um, I mean, I used to think, or I used to say, oh, I'll say what everybody else is thinking. But it wasn't. I was just making excuses to be obnoxious, like, um, really insult, hurt people. I did, I hurt people with, with my words, you know. Um, far cheap laughs, you know, picking up people's uh, appearance. And it's, you know, with your friends, you can pretty much say anything you want to each other, right? Yeah. And I think here anyway, certainly, I mean, if you're, I mean, it's a, we call it, a, it's a slagging, we call it, right? So you're my friend, I can say anything in the world to you and you will take it in good, in good faith, in good humour. But I said things to complete strangers and out of the blue that they were like, geez, I'm only out for a drink and I, this fella's coming up saying these incredible, awful things, hurtful things to me. And my excuse was, Jesus, why don't you just take a joke, lighten up here, have a small bit of, bit of humour. And it's, it's looking back, no, it's only since they've been in recovery that I'm looking back thinking, How could you ever have think, have thought that it was acceptable to say this stuff? But it's amazing when we look back and we're sober. The shit we did when we were drunk. Oh Christ, man! You know it's um, and I know, no, I can blame it. I can blame alcohol for a for a lot of stuff, a lot of my behaviors. But my decision, every decision I made, was influenced by my addictions, everything. From what side of the street I walked on to the clothes I wore, I all influenced by alcohol or gambling. And like, I look at it now and like my wife now will still, and rightly so, will still question if, if, if I told her today was Sunday, she would double check it. I can understand. I can. I can absolutely understand because 
and not just my wife, everybody. Because I told so much, like I'm so full of shit, like it was incredible, incredible, you know, and it's it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing that um I came up with so much stuff for you know, Jim, I've often said this that you'll do anything for your friends, you know? Yeah. But my addictions are my best friends. And I would protect them at any cost. So there were times if that um I did something stupid with, with booze in me and I would take full responsibility, but do not blame the booze. That was my attitude. Do don't you dare blame the booze. Because if if I was in, if I took responsibility, then the booze was safe for another week. I could go back to it. Um, but as soon as I admitted that maybe that was the problem, there there couldn't be, there's no going back. Everybody would watch me from then on. Um, so I had to protect it. I had to I had to look at it as my best friend. You'd lie down in traffic for your best friend. And and that's the way I had to look at it. And it's the way I did look at it, and I always protected it. Um I try to explain that to people who aren't in addiction to normal people yeah um and they just don't get it it's um i'd 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 love to be able to just get inside someone's head and, and just say this is it this is how it happens and this is why we do what we do just completely takes over um and we end up and there was plenty of times i hated myself um there was times where i knew that Look, it's getting a bit much now, you know. Some of the stuff is very close to the bone. Maybe you'd want to check if the drink is a problem. But I quite kind of, no, get, get that out of your head there fast. You know, Jesus, don't even think about that. We think about that in a few weeks again, you know. And we put that on the back burner now for a while. We'll see how things settle down. And maybe we'll think about it again soon. Because... Just as I said, there was no going back if I admitted it. And it was yeah. still even when I went to AA, when I went to AA first, it was step one was the Jesus step one is just a horrible. You know, to to say that you are powerless is like you ask anybody. I mean, anybody in the whole world, do you want to be powerless over anything? And they'll tell you without hesitation, no. And it's just that to admit that, yeah, it, it had this complete hold over me. Um, and I, I remember when, I remember sitting in Gamblers Anonymous and I had gone through the motions and I sat there and some weeks I listened and some meetings I kind of, I threw in a share now and again. And it was a Thursday night, I will never forget it. Something just clicked with me. And it was, you realize now, John, this is it. You can never do it again. If you gamble again, but it all falls down. Everything comes tumbling down. I thought of it and I said it, I think the following week was that my life was like a kind of a Jenga block. 
that when all the, all the blocks are there, it's solid, it's a nice structure, there's no problem with it. But if I did a bet, I had to take a block out. But if I did a bet, I had to tell a lie. So that was another block. But one lie turns into two lies. Before you know it then, it, the block is unstable and it crashes down. And there was no re there was no rebuilding it at that stage because I had caused so much trouble. Um, but my wife could not trust me. I had lost an absolute fortune. My kids were my kids were distraught. And I mean, money is one thing, you know, but money comes and goes. You can get money back. But I'll never ever get the time back with my kids. That's gone. It's gone forever. Um, so times where I sat here and my girls asked me to read them a story or and I'm looking at the TV, looking at the sport on the TV, thinking, Christ, will there ever be a yellow card here? Or, yeah, I'll tell you in a minute, you know. I couldn't just give them that time. And that, to this day, that breaks my heart, like, you know. Um, as I said, I mean, they won't remember the money. They won't remember, oh, my dad bought me this. But they will remember, oh, my dad told me stories. Or, you know, my dad brought me out for walks. Um, or they'll remember the lack of it, because it was lacking for so long. Because my head was all... It was just all about me. It's all it was the John show. And when you're stuck in the John show, nobody, nobody else matters. And the John show was about gambling and drinking and being the funny Mr. Funny Man, you know. So, so what led you because you said eventually you went to AA and it clicked. What made you attend your first meeting? Um well. I walked out of my family home. I walked out of my wife and my kids. I'm I'm not proud of that. But I walked out so I could drink. That's basically it. I walked out. Um, I packed a bag. I didn't tell anybody. Um, and I told a friend of mine a lie that um, oh, there was trouble and I was getting... I needed somewhere to stay and he left me stay with him under under um and he was given false information and I stayed with him for a couple of days and but I drank. I drank for the three days. I went for two days. And I contacted my sister and I asked her could I stay with her and she was like, Yeah, you can. But it was I had a well I went on a bender on the Friday. On the Saturday, I felt different. We've all had hangovers, you know, and we've had the physical and the mental hangovers. But the anxiety and the paranoia and the fear was so much more than anything I've ever experienced. Um, the, I, it's so hard to describe, um, but, you know, when you know, you know. Um, that my, my race was run um, so I rang somebody who was in the in the other fellowship with me and I said look I'm, I'm in trouble 
and like, like that. I mean, people, other members will help you any way they can. And he was fantastic. He said, I will be there. I'll pick you up tomorrow morning. We're going to a meeting. And um, I had gone to AA years earlier. And I had gone basically to so people leave me alone. I didn't go for I didn't go to stop. But I went and I did stop. I didn't drink. Um but I didn't pay any attention at meetings either. Um I went through the motions, I was taking some boxes, and and eventually I thought, here you go now. I've done my time. I haven't drank. I've been here for a couple Christ years. Um so I'm clearly not an alcoholic. So I went back out boozing and it was way worse than it was ever before, you know. Um so then I went to that when I went back, I went to that meeting and it was it was honestly as if that meeting had been scheduled just for me. It was exactly what I needed to hear particular morning um, and I came out I can't say that I felt completely positive that everything was going to work out and but I had at that tiny bit of hope that maybe you can move forward here um, and I kept going I kept going to meetings but I knew it wasn't enough so I discussed it with my wife um, and I was still, I'm still not, like 10 months later, I'm still not back in the family home. No, we, we have a, a decent relationship, but I'm I'm still not fully back here. Um, and I understand the reasons behind that too. I mean, you can't walk out and expect to be welcomed back with open arms because you've put down a drink. But I discussed it with my wife and treatment was the best option for me and I went I went into treatment for 28 days and uh, the first couple of days I was in there I thought this is going to be absolutely fine I had a great night's sleep I thought this is great the people in were in there were lovely and it was about the third day I went for a meeting with my counsellor and um she broke me down. She absolutely cut me in half. Um, she opened up, opened up a box that I never wanted to be opened up, that I didn't even know needed to be opened up. Um, I was so full of resentment. Um, and anger, Jesus, the anger was... I mean, every time we went in for a group session, anger came up and it was John, here, here's something. Here's another um, here's another pamphlet. I want you to summarize it. And I was always about my anger. Um, because it was just built up. It was just fury from for years and years and years. I blamed everybody for my problems. Um, and I wasn't taking any ownership. And after that, that 28 days, I came out of there with a very, very different attitude. And so 
treatment does treatment isn't a cure. Treatment doesn't uh, doesn't send you out in your merry way flag and here's a pin saying I completed treatment. I'm I'm the best in the world. It, it far from it because the world has continued while you were in treatment and you come out and most people don't even know you were gone. And you come out and the world has continued. But you have to adjust. You have to adjust all your behaviours and you have to change. And I found that so difficult. Um, I thought that putting down a drink was the only thing I had to do. I thought, if I don't drink, life would be fantastic. Uh, I'll get back to my home, to my wife and my kids, and everything will be great. But none of my behaviours changed. All the isms were still there. Um, I continued to lie. And mostly for no reason. It was just a default. It just came out. Any question and a lie would come out. I continued to be a, a buffoon, you know, just persistently messing and having to be the funny guy. And it was always for validation. Um, I needed to be told that um, you know, I was I was something special, or and I, I can't I don't know why because I was never treated badly. I was never treated differently to any of my siblings. In fact, because I was I was good at sport, I remember a lot of people did treat me pretty well. Um. So, Jesus, it was when you have to get the head down and actually do the hard work and the background stuff, that started to eat me up a little bit, you know? And so I, I knew it was daily meetings for me. I knew I couldn't get by on two meetings a week. Um, so that's why I went every, every day. And I still go, I, I, minimum five a week I go to. Um, because I need it. If if I don't, I'm in trouble. I'll I'll stop working my program. I'll stop doing the next right thing. Um, and it's, you know, it's hard to admit that. Um, for me, for being somewhat of a narcissist, if I'm honest. But if you're in a room against an addiction. You are never, never the smartest guy in the room. That addiction is always more clever than you. And it will it will beat you and it will break you. And if you take your eye off the ball, it's going to creep up. And it's it's never a huge booming voice that says, come on, let's drink again or let's gamble again. It's a tap on the shoulder. It's a, it's a nice little warm arm around you saying, come on. Come on, I look after you. Come on with me. We always had fun. I, I, you know, I'm the hug you're looking for. And that's where it's so clever. And that's where that's where it would be very easy to fall down. And I know with gambling, um, for me, even though I physically haven't spent a cent in, in almost four years, I did go on sites. And I did try out the free bets and all this stuff, you know, and um, I did that. Um, 
I'm convinced myself that but I'm not really gambling. So I'm sure it's not really money. But of course it was gambling. Because the next step would have been, here's my card, here, take my money. There was always going to be the next step. Um, so I had to learn, I had to, Jesus, and it was very, very hard, you know. I had to put a block on my phone. Um, and it was difficult, it was so difficult not to be, um, not to just have a look. What if I just have a look at the site and see what's happening? Um, but that doesn't work. Like the, as the saying goes, you know, you, you spend spend enough time in the barbers, you're going to get a haircut. Well, I probably won't. <laughs> it's it's and I try to explain to people that the compulsion is there, you know. And I think it's no matter what it is with um. Like we'll get to with the alcohol or, or drugs or whatever. Yeah, you're gonna get the physical side of it as well. For me, a lot with alcohol is fear of missing out. Or what are they up to? And what are they up to? Convincing myself that nobody could possibly have a decent night out unless I was there. I was almost thinking like, oh, poor them no going out without me tonight. They're gonna to have the worst night ever. And then wonder, because when I went out, I wanted to be the first one there and I wanted to be the very last one to leave just in case I missed one small thing that happened. And if I did, oh my, I, I was heartbroken if I missed something. Um, and that's, that's, that's pathetic, you know, to live that life. That life is... Um, it's not a life, actually. That's that's barely even surviving, you know. Um, to go through without having any drive or any ambition, it's just to be in the bar with your mates, being there, dancing monkey, effectively. Um, and it's not. I was never pressured to be that. I wanted to be that because I thought I needed to be there. I thought my, I wouldn't be accepted by them or by anybody unless I was there. No, since I've, I've gone into recovery, a lot of these people have contacted me and asked me how I'm getting on, you know? So yeah, many more haven't bothered. Many, many more haven't bothered their arse to contact me and find out, you know, how's everything going with you, John, you know? Um, but yeah, I've got friends who have contacted me, asked me who I am. Um, so it, it tells me that I was making all the mistakes. They would have accepted me anyway. Um, but I was up in my own head convincing myself that I wasn't good enough. Um, and I'm working with that because I do, I have, I have outside help as well, you know. I go to a counsellor and uh, that's, Christ, that's hard work. Having to open up to someone and, and tell them your deepest, darkest secrets is hard. Yeah. Um, 
you know, a part of your life that you um that you you really don't want to revisit, um things that have prof profound effects on you, people that have affected you. You know, there's times that I just want to tell him to listen, not today, man. I I can't, I can't today, and but he's a magician. He drags it out of me, like, and I'll go away. And sometimes I'm incredibly upset going away. But for the most time, I will look back after my session with him and think, okay, yeah, I think the other day. That's a, here's another step forward for me, and. Um, and like Jim, it's again that's not a perfect science either, you know. It's you can't go in and think he's gonna give you a, a tap on the back and everything's gonna miraculously disappear and all your woes are, are over because they're not. Um I think I could be going to that man for a hundred years and we'd still find stuff to talk about because um Unfortunately, with men and men in addiction, we hide so much about our addiction. We seem we tend to hide everything else as well. Um. So. Yeah, it's like the treatment center I went to taught me a lot about um dealing with my emotions, just leaving things out. You know, it's um. That there's no shame in, in in being upset, you know. Yeah, you can be you can be angry too, but use it in the right way. Use your anger um productively as opposed to aggression. Um and if you want to be upset, you be upset. I mean, if you need to cry, you cry. You know, it's it's no big deal. Yeah, maybe you're a 47-year-old man, but if Christ, if something makes you sad, it makes you sad. Yep. And simple as, but for years it's the what do you mean? Make me sad, I'm too tough. No, no way, you know. Bar watching movies with the kids that I just can't contain myself. <laughs> and I sounds like you've come a long way. Sounds like the support system you have has really played a big part in you being sober. Look, I've got people in AA that I'm I'm very close to that. And I, I say this to people all the time. Sometimes it's a text message. I'm not having a great day today. And you will get a call back. That's the way it works. That's the way the program works for me. Um, I can ring somebody any time of the day, no matter where they are, they'll pick up. I can, I can talk to my wife. And I could say, I'm having a bad day and she will talk to me and she will listen. But nobody has all the answers. But sometimes it's just about having somebody to listen. Like, I was closed off. One of my sisters, basically we, we had kind of a bit of an argument because I was closed off and I hadn't spoken about it. Um, until eventually it kind of came to a head and I said, yeah, look, this is, this is how I feel. I'm depressed a lot. Um, but my wife, my wife knew that 
a lot of the time I was feeling down. Um, but I still hadn't even spoken to her enough about it, you know. Um, but yeah, my sister will contact me pretty much daily, you know, um, and no way to respond. Instead of sending her back a one-word reply, say, oh, yeah, I'm grand, grand, fine, which is what I was doing. Um, you know, on, on the days that I didn't want to get out of the bed. So no, it's, I'll tell her, yeah, I'm not in good form today. Or it, it was tough. I, I had a difficult meeting or, you know, and I think that's, stuff like that is vital for anybody's recovery. Honesty is, honesty has always been difficult for me because I'm a compulsive liar as well as everything else. Um, but I see the importance of it, like, you know, it's, um, like, certainly for any any relationship or anybody close to you. It's just about being open. It's, it really is. Um, and if you feel that, today I felt, I, I thought I wanted to have a drink, then you tell somebody, you know, it's, even if you don't, even if you don't have a drink, but I felt like it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you I felt like having a drink today. That's where I am. That's where I am today. I didn't pick it up, but that's where I am. Um these are things I think that um if we don't say, we'll push that down as well, and that will explode out eventually. Um and that'll be when that explodes out, that'll be the time you will walk down the street and you will turn into a bear. Or you will pick up that um that six pack, you know, it's that's what happens. So like I've um I go to aftercare after I get out of um treatment, I do it every Wednesday night. And that is keeping me sober. That's keeping me gamble free. Um the importance of it to me. I'm I'm lucky that I've got two great facilitators there. Um, I'm with an, an amazing bunch of people. We're all a variety of ages. Um, I went in there the first night and I went, I'm 25 years older than these kids. Like, What can we possibly get from each other? But I've, I've learned so much. I've learned so much from them. Addiction is addiction. It doesn't matter if you're 100 years old or you're, you're 22. Yep. If you're addicted, that's what it is. So we all had we all had some uh, we were all able to educate each other, and it's one it's a meeting where you can give feedback. So I can tell you about my day, or my week, and you can tear me apart, or you can give me all the coolness under the sun, if you think I'm doing the right things or I'm doing the wrong things, and it's what I it's what I need it's what I need to hear, you know. Well, John, I think you're doing this. I think you're doing this wrong. I think you're doing this right. And these snippets of information, small little bits of advice, they put me on the right road and they allow me to move forward even more. Um, and without things like that, I'd be, I'd be in serious trouble. And I think we all know, I mean, the meeting before the meeting or the meeting after the meeting where uh, you can, you know, you can sit down and you can have a cup of coffee with another member and, not discuss addiction, just discuss 
Did you see the game last night? Isn't this weather awful? These are the connections that you get with people, vastly important. I, I need them. I need that connection with people that know what I'm going through and they know how my head works. Um, yeah, and look, I don't need, it doesn't have to be everybody who's, who's an addict. I mean, of course you need people who are on the outside of our world as well. Um, out there that are looking in. Um, but I find you with the people that I've met. Um, and yeah, look, for anybody who, um, if anybody watches this and uh, is thinking of going to a meeting, not every single person is amazing. They're still people. Some people are just souls, and that's unfortunate. But the vast majority, the, I mean, in the ninetieth percent, like they will help you as much as they can, and. That's a huge positive for anybody going in. People will always welcome you going in the door. But when I when I came back to AA, um, the amount of people that shook my hand, welcomed me back, told me I was doing the right thing, gave me their phone number, you know, call me anytime. Um, you know, there's meetings anywhere. If you're ever stuck to go to a meeting, let me know and I'll pick you up. And, and it was all genuine. None of it was the, and I did it so many times. If I was out and I had, was drunk, um, ring me whenever you need me, you know. That was for my benefit. That wasn't for the other person. That was for my benefit to make me feel important. But if I tell somebody no, <laughs> Take my number and call me if you need me. I mean it. I'm there. If you need me, I might give you the greatest of advice, but I will listen. And you can vent down the phone. You can shout and scream. I'll be the ear on the other side of the phone for you. And there's a huge amount of satisfaction being able to give back, I think, because I know I can ring somebody and they listen to me. So... Things like that, Jim, I, I just think I've got massive gratitude for, let's just say, for, for that kind of support. So I think that's, that's great. So it sounds like you're on the right path. Um, not every day is amazing. Um, I'd be lying if I said it was. Not every day is incredible. I still pass bars and I, I kind of go, wouldn't it be lovely? No, they're fleeting thoughts. They don't last. Um, and I, I, I quickly remove myself from situations. But, yeah, it's, I have I don't go to a meeting and, and suddenly any thought of drink, drinking disappears. That's not how, it's not how it's worked for me. Um, I don't think about gambling. Gambling is, okay, gambling is always there, but it's very far behind me now compared to where it was sitting on my shoulder for a long time. Um, but drinking alcohol is um, is sometimes still appealing. Um, but I'm not willing to, to go down that road. I'm not willing to give up on it, you know. 
because it's the, it's the great remover. I, I can look at what I've gained from my recent sobriety and I can then look at what will be taken. I mean, if I want to make a list of the things that I will lose and I will lose an awful lot. Um, like, I really messed up my relationship with my with my two daughters. Um, and I made things so, so hard for them. Um, but slowly but surely, we're starting to build back. But if I put one spoonful of alcohol to my lips, that's all gone again. And it would be a near impossibility to build it back. So I'm just, um, and you know what? I'm very grateful that they gave me a chance to kind of prove myself that, you know, that, that I was willing to do it, you know, that I was willing to do it for me. And that if I did it for me, they'd benefit. Um, so... Yeah, I did do it for me. I did do it. I did do it to improve my life, and that's why I do it. That's why I do meetings. That's why. That's why I'm doing this. Um. This this will improve my life. If someone listens to it and watches it and gets something out of it, that's amazing, incredible, um, and uh, and uh, I'd love that. I'd love if someone got something from it, um. But I, I look at the amount of um the amount of help that I've got from people from listening to stories and not always not always the war stories. But sometimes somebody who comes in and says, I, I've had a brilliant week. My week has been absolutely amazing. I was able to do this and this and because they were sober. That's inspiring, you know. You can you can look at somebody, you can see the smile on their face, you can see how grateful they are. Um, and if somebody doesn't want that then something's wrong if you don't look at someone and think this is why I'm working hard this is why I come to these meetings this is why I do not pick up that drink it's because I'll be I will have that as well I will have those weeks where I can say my week was a 9 out of 10 and I, I think that's that's appealing to everybody. It has to be, you know. It's, it's really great. I mean, it means. I mean, it sounds like you got your shit together big time compared to where you were. Um, but let me ask you one last question. We're getting towards the end here. You've given a bunch already, but do you have any advice for people watching and listening? If people are watching and listening in in recovery. gets easier it will never be easy but it gets easier it's all about putting it in I mean it is daunting and it says that you know any preamble at the start of um, at the start of any meeting meeting of how we balked it's too hard and it does seem incredibly hard it always seems incredibly hard and um, because it's work and it's hard work and you're I mean you're not getting a physical paycheck at the at the end of it. Um 
but what you are getting is um a night's sleep peace of mind you know the ability to be able to say I didn't make a balls of things today nobody I didn't upset somebody today I'm not paranoid that person walking towards me you know is is just about to explode on me because I insulted their partner last night I keep and uh, you know what and keep working on that and that will give you the you know I suppose it would give you a bit of a drive and it gives you the, the the incentive to keep moving forward and it's just steps and it's just for today and I start every day at, at day one you know um I'm sober today and I'll go to bed tonight hopefully sober and I'll wake up in the morning and I will start all over again at day one because if I stay sober for one day at a time I'll stay sober forever so just keep it in the day and if anyone have, if anyone is watching who's in who's in addiction and they think they possibly could do with going to meetings or get some help there's meetings 24-7 everywhere and it will change your life. That's some good advice. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. You had quite the story. You told it very well. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Yeah. I was, I was really delighted to do it, yeah. Really happy. Yeah, well, I want to say thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It means a lot. And people do listen and watch. And like you said, if it reaches one person, it's all worth it. You know what I mean? Just one. Yeah, absolutely. Just one. All right. Do me a favor. Sit tight for just a minute. I'm going to do the little outro here with our sales pitch, and then we'll be on, on our way. So for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can also check us out on all social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, TikTok, Instagram, you name it. We're most likely on it. Um, also check out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There's plenty of free resources as well as free literature. And also Addicts Anonymous has a book out on Amazon and Kindle called Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories. It's a collection of people's stories as well as I write on a number of different topics and um, different things as far as addiction-related issues. So check that out on Kindle and Amazon. Once again, it's Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories. So that's all we have for today. I really hope you enjoyed it and we'll hopefully catch you next time.